going to be looking at a passage of scripture, familiar story to most of us here as believers in Christ, uh, taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. I'm going to give you a chance to, to look that up. And while you're looking that up, I encourage you, we're going to have several weeks together, as I've already mentioned, in the book of Luke. It doesn't hurt to read through it two or three times through this, this course of study together, because I think you'll, you'll discover some things that uh, can be shared in our discipleship hour that follows, or in conversation with one another, or if nothing else, just helps you shape your own life as you seek to uh, be a disciple and follow Christ. So then looking at our passage this morning, we read, One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Have you ever been in a crowd of people where there is no personal space to claim? <laughs> Standing room only. Have you been in a room where it's hotter inside than outside because of just the, all the bodies that have, have gathered? And because of the number of people that surround you shoulder to shoulder, the air is still and stale and it begins to smell like a locker room. But you, you, you endure it because you're there expecting to experience something that's either going to be enjoyable or pleasurable or remarkable or rememberable. Uh, you're drawn there for the expectation of something. Well, I think in, some, in so many ways, this has got to be the scene that has unfolded us, unfolded before us in the passage of Scripture that we just read. Uh, there's no doubt that the crowd had formed. But there were a few, apart from the crowd, that distanced themselves from the less fortunate, the ones who had standing room only. And these were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, and were sitting there. 
And oh, that's something they're real good at. Anytime they gathered in the synagogue or if they would go to a feast or other public gatherings, they would make certain that they had the preferred positions or seats in the room. They wanted to be noticed and recognized. And on this occasion, it was no different. The crowd of ordinary people stood shoulder to shoulder inside the house to the point it was so crowded that now it begins to spill out through the door and onto the street. Surrounding the house, people leaning into the windows, pressing against the outside wall, just wanting to possibly hear, if not maybe even see, what Jesus was going to say or do. We read that uh, this would be an expected uh, scene altogether because a few verses before this particular passage is recorded, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him, to be healed of their infirmities. And so the crowd now is pressing heavy on the house and on one another. But the story really begins down the street or possibly even in a village of some distance from where they were at. Four men who come to their paralytic friend with the belief that Jesus can heal him. It would require their faith as well as the faith of the man confined to the cot for the trek to begin. We don't know how far they had to carry their friend, but it would not be an easy task. Have you ever tried to move a mattress by yourself? Now just imagine uh, someone laying on that mattress and trying to move it. And even for, if you ever picked up a litter or a stretcher and, and tried to carry someone. If you've been in those situations, you can appreciate the difficulty that faced our four friends here. But then coming upon the place where Jesus was and seeing the crowd, maybe even attempting somehow to press through the numbers of people, trying to get closer to the door, only to be rebuffed and rebuked. Unmovable mass of people, not letting anybody get in front of them. It would mean that there have to be some other option available. For you see, they were bent. They were, they were determined somehow, some way, they were going to get their friend to see Jesus. So he would be climbing the stairs on the outside of the house. One commentator mentioned that probably those stairs were even also covered by people who were leaning against the outside wall. So they would possibly go to the house next door because they were very, very close to one another and go up those stairs and cross that roof and then hand the stretcher over onto the roof that was above Jesus and where he was teaching. And then the work began. They dismantled a section of the roof. Uh, they're determined. There's nothing holding them back. They're tearing into that sod and they're tearing into the sticks and the thatch and the straw, trying to make a space big enough to, between those beams to let their friend down to be in the presence of Christ. Now, we would easily imagine that their entry into the room <laughs> would stir the crowd a bit, stir some dust, and certainly arouse attention. Upon the cot being lowered and resting now on the floor before Jesus, 
the words that are spoken electrifies the room. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. There, there had to be some rumbling. There had to be some real stirring among the people and, and looking at each other and questioning what in the world's going on. And then Jesus speaks this word, these words and silence takes over. There is a hush that comes to the crowd. People leaning in, stretching, trying to determine what's going to happen next. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Can you just see it? I mean, they sit there with their arms crossed to chest, you know, almost a sneer in their face as these thoughts are running through their head. The silence is broken as Jesus addresses his accusers. You see, Jesus knew what they were thinking. <laughs> he says, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the paralytic is laying there on a couch, on a cot before these religious leaders. Jesus then is establishing his authority in their very... It's like Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. And these guys are saying, where's the evidence? What proves his sins are forgiven? And then that's when Jesus says, take up your cot and go home. The authority was established by his very words that that miracle be, be, be performed and that authority coming from the God himself who only ushers authorities to those who follow him and trust in him. The very son of God. <clears throat> With this, we can be certain that the silence, <laughs> the silence was broken. <laughs> can you hear it now? Can you see the high fives going across the room, the slaps on the back, the cheerings from the window? As this man gets up immediately, stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, what? Praising God. <laughs> and everybody else is, because they're amazed of what they had seen that day. Everybody else, except for those few who are still sitting there with their arms crossed across, uh, laid across their chest. Who does he think he is? Jesus established his authority that day. But it didn't start there. You, we're just going to do a little bit of backtracking here some. You remember from the waters of the Jordan when the Holy Spirit descended upon him and a voice of heaven proclaimed, You are my beloved Son. Do you remember in the synagogue when Jesus was standing there in Nazareth, reading from the book of Isaiah, that he made the proclamation that this prophecy has today been fulfilled? Do you remember, or possibly though we didn't mention it, have read through Luke and seeing the number of times prior to this particular event 
that Jesus chastises the demons because they have called him out as the Son of God. You do remember, I'm sure, of that broken fisherman, Peter, as he is kneeling before Christ in that boat full of fish, once calling him rabbi, then calling him master, and now calling him Lord. Jesus is establishing his authority. And today, in that room, before the skeptics and before all those who were witnessing what was going on, by simply saying, take your mat and go home, he established his authority over sin and sickness. This revelation of who Jesus is and the power he has was exposed to the crowd by an act of faith of five men. Four carrying a cot and a one dependent upon his friends who were simply, simply wanting to bring him to Jesus. That's all those guys wanted to do, to bring him to Jesus. Because they knew, they had heard, they believed what they had seen and, and been told about Jesus. Faith was what brought out the miracle that raised the paralytic to his feet and sent him home praising God. And faith caused the silence to come over the skeptics. And while they were hushed, it was faith that brought the joyous praises out of the people who witnessed the miracle for themselves. <clears throat> this example of their faith, I believe, holds a great lesson for all of us. Now, on the surface, it would appear that their faith was motivated by recognizing a need, a need that they certainly wanted to be met and believed Jesus could do it. The, the need simply being healing their sick friend, their suffering friend. And as great as that need does appear in the scriptures, the deeper motivation of their faith was love. Faith prompted by love. You see, it was love that gave the hands and the feet to those who were interceding for their friend. Their love was the energy behind their determination. The distance required of them to carry the paralytic was accepted as something they had to do. The barriers of an unmovable crowd that blocked their way was simply recognized ah, as a setback. <laughs> The climb to the roof with the burden of a mat and a man, as demanding as it was, love compelled him to keep on going. And the two-foot-thick roof between them and Jesus was accepted simply a challenge. Determination, fed by love for their friend, pushed them to the great lengths to prove their conviction, their belief, their faith in Jesus. Their faith led them to risking riling the people as they tried to make entry and, and, and there was rebuff and rebuke. It risked the fact that the pious religious leaders weren't real excited about them being there. It risked being rejected by many, 
but determined and driven by love to pursue the presence of Christ. Faith is also an act of obedience that brings about the fulfillment of promises made by God. You know, there is a, a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 called the faith chapter, and we could camp out there today because it is just a litany of one powerful miracle after another by the simple act of faith. People taking God for his word and acting upon it. These Old Testament men and women of faith walked it, lived it, believed it, pursued it, and always, not only in, out of obedience, out of obedience, but also because of the love they had for the Father. Their faith wrought miracle after miracle, bearing evidence of God's power to be witnessed and experienced as one faithfully obeys the commands. I encourage you this afternoon to open chapter 11 of Hebrews and just see all the stuff that unfolded in the history of our, our scriptures, of the history of the Bible, the history of our forefathers of faith, because of faith themselves. Now, I liken this event uh, as being similar in many ways to what you and I go through in terms of this exercise of faith. It's, it's very personal. There's no getting around that. But it's also corporate. It's something that is required of us as a body of believers, as a people of faith. We in the faith, we, just like these, these four guys, we in the faith have to work together to bring about the spiritual and even the physical healing of a broken world. It requires us of, of coming alongside one another and, and sharing the burden. I appreciated what Mark was saying in, in his opening comments this morning of how we do come alongside one another, of how we, even as the paralytic, lay our, our needs before one another. So that collectively, again, faith can be exercised and the work be accomplished. We in faith working together, bringing about the physical and, and, and spiritual healing of a paralyzed world, not to be discouraged by the unmovable people around us, the stubborn ones, the hard-hearted ones, the ones filled with hate. We are not to see those obstacles in front of us as somehow impenetrable. Because if we're pursuing God in faith, there will be a way. Just as the five men, the four men found it. Enduring open criticisms and even those veiled under the breath comments mean nothing. When we get to hear the words of Christ saying, take up your mat and go home. In other words, what's accomplished through the miracle of faith. Our task individually and our task collectively is no different than what the task of those four men was that day. And that's to bring people to Jesus. This is a perfect example of what I believe the church should not be as well as what the church should be. Instead of simply a gathering of people who crowd together Sunday after Sunday, and I know this isn't a crowd, but just imagine if you will, we're crowded in a sanctuary together. 
And because of that, we crowd out others. We don't make room for others. Or sadly, not just in terms of crowding them out because of ignoring their needs, but crowding them out when what they need most is Jesus himself. It could be a group of people, as few as we may be, as few as five, (laughs) as the example is before us in the text, who by faith will take whatever action necessary to bring people to Jesus. It's that simple. The miraculous work of Christ was done. And the, mit- the witnesses were many, while there were only a few of the faith. But the witnesses were many. And that's the way it works sometimes. As we exercise faith among the multitude who may be amazed or even attracted and not yet respond, all we are doing is pointing to the one whom, to whom we trust and get bare evidence of what he can do as what he has done in our lives, collectively and individually. Every, we read in Luke 5, 26, everyone was amazed and, and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. <laughs> and you know, what is so beautiful about this This all came about by five unknown, unnamed men of the New Testament. You'll never hear of them again through the rest of the Gospels, except as the story is repeated by the the parallels. But we don't know their names, but they were faithful. That's all it's asked of any of us. Just be faithful. There is is a great promise, and I love this. And and just hang your hat on this one. Do you want to make God happy? (laughs) Do Do you want to please the Lord as a believer in Jesus Christ? Go back to that chapter 11 in Hebrews. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please God without faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he he rewards those who seeks him. Faith points to Christ. Faith points to promises kept. Faith points to what we are to receive by following, pursuing Christ, pointing others to Christ. And faith pleases God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, whatever we do, may we do it with the desire, with the motives, with all strength and energy devoted to please you whether it's our thoughts, whether it's our words, or whether it's our deeds, may we do it all to please you. And knowing it can't be done and done right unless it's done in faith. Faith, which means trusting in you, believing in you, pursuing you. So, Father, as the disciples asked of you specifically, Jesus, 
increase our faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.